Good morning, everybody. So I know this is not the uh, red-headed, freckled guy you were expecting to see. You're welcome. <laughs> now, isn't it funny how, how life can just, things can turn in an instant. Things can change so quickly that you just weren't expecting, you weren't prepared for. Yeah, you better get out of the way before that crushes you. <laughs> now, things can, things can just change all at once, and a little change can affect almost everything. A, so, a small-scale example of this, and probably some of you have experienced this, I do more often than I would care to, is uh, when you're, you're having a conversation with your spouse, and they're talking, and you're, you're nodding, and grunting, and agreeing, and then eventually you realize, oh, they stopped talking. I think I'm supposed to say something. The worst is when they go, what do you think? <laughs> and you go, okay, I could try to bluff my way through this, or I could confess that, you know what, my mind was elsewhere, I wasn't listening. Either answer is probably not going to turn out well, but... But what happens in that little moment is going to affect how the rest of your day goes, maybe the rest of your week, how it's going to go, right? So we, we come to these little crossroads, moments where uh, one decision is going to affect my course from here on out. So we're in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 16, and last week, Kevin mentioned this earlier during the announcements, we got to see uh, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who does, who, who, what is everybody saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And then specifically, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ was the title. It's the, the king, the anointed one. In case you didn't know, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? It, it is a, it's, a, it's a title. He says, you are the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, perfect, awesome. On that profession, I'm going to build my church. It, that is going to be the foundation, the building block that we're going to use to spread the gospel to the whole world, that Jesus is the king. And so the disciples at that point probably had visions of grandeur, right? They, he's just confirmed what they've been suspecting for a while, that he is the king they've been waiting for. And so they probably, you know, they, they're, in their minds, they're like, great, we've got, you know, a, a, some momentum, we've got crowds, uh, he's the king, we're going to march to Jerusalem, put him on the throne, uh, kick Rome out, and, and here we go. And so it's, a, it's an awesome moment, and then it takes a turn. It changes quickly from there. So we're going to study about that uh, today, but before we do, let's pray and ask God to help us understand this stuff. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us another opportunity to study your, your holy word. We got to sing songs and Greet one another, fellowship, worship, praise, all of those things. But Lord, as we approach your word, we know that uh, as much as we need to hear your voice, so often we're listening to the wrong voices. And we pray that uh, you would uh, quiet those voices, that we could just focus on you. Cleanse us, bring us as close to you as we can get today. Let us uh, get to know you better, know who you are, know who we are in you. 
And we pray for your will to be done through this message. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick up Matthew 16, verse 20. Right? So they've just confirmed Jesus is the king. And then he says, Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. That's not what they expected to hear, right? This is great news. We've been waiting for the anointed one. We've been waiting for our king. You're the king. And Jesus says, yeah, but this is not the right time. Because there's, there's some things that need to happen. And he starts to tell them about it. He starts to tell them that there's a price that has to be paid first. So verse 21 says, from that time... See, this is a turning point. This is a crossroads where Jesus' ministry is going to change. His focus is is shifting completely toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, toward what has to happen. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He started explaining that these things must happen. This wasn't God's plan B. Sometimes we think that, right? That that God gave the law, and then after a while, he went, oh, wow, they're not good at this. We need to figure something else out. Now, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. That means before the single, before the first human being was created, God the Father and God the Son said, you know what? They're gonna mess this up. They're gonna need someone to pay the price they cannot pay, and Jesus said, I'll do it. This was always the plan. This must happen. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Right now, when you hear bad news about someone that you love, that's a natural response, right? No, this can't be. Peter began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. So, you know, they, they've got, like I said, they've got this head of steam. Things are going great. There are crowds. There are miracles. He's the king. We all know it. And then now Jesus starts talking about suffering and dying. And Peter, I think, is just like, you know, Jesus, don't, don't get all negative right now. You know, things are going good. In verse 23, he says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Get behind me, Satan. Now, some people get this twisted, and they think, they try to say, Oh, yeah, Peter got possessed by the devil here, or whatever. No. Satan, uh, although that is a title for uh, the devil, that word just means adversary. It means to oppose, to obstruct, my enemy. And when you're going against what God would have happen, you're the enemy. You're, you're opposing it. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You know, we can sidetrack God's plan in our lives and in the lives of other people by giving what seems like good advice. Right? We care about someone. 
and we give them what seems like good advice, you know, yeah, I, I think you should get out of this situation. God wants you to be happy. That sounds good. It could be, though, that God's will here is that this is a trial, and you're going to struggle through it, and I'm going to get you through it, and then you're going to grow from it. It could be that getting out of this is not what his plan is. Or sometimes we, we fail to say something because we're concerned about someone's comfort, right? We care about people being comfortable. And the truth can be really uncomfortable, right? Like if, if you really want to know if those pants make you look fat, ask a four-year-old. Right? Because they're brutally honest. They don't have the filter. But a, a friend, an adult, will be like, no, it's not the pants. Or whatever. Uh, no, don't say that either. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, have you, have, have you maybe listened to some bad advice lately? Advice that seemed good, seemed comfortable, seemed convenient, but in retrospect may have been not what God would have preferred you do. Jesus, what he's really getting at here is he's saying, look, Peter, you're, you're acting like a consumer and not a disciple. You're acting like a consumer, not a follower. Because a consumer is in something for what they can get out of it. Right? And what Peter prefers, what makes him comfortable is that his savior goes and gets on a throne and he's the king and Peter's Jesus' right-hand man, right? So he's going to have a pretty good role in this new kingdom. And that's a consumer. It's what you get out of it. But Jesus says, I don't, I don't want you in this for what you can get out of it. I want you to be concerned about what my will is, not how it affects you. Verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, there, there are lots of positive results from being a consumer of Jesus, the things of Jesus. As a matter of fact, hardly anyone in the world has anything bad to say about Jesus. Even, you know, that Islam teaches that Jesus was a good teacher. It's the whole that he's God part that they have a problem with. People who don't, even, who don't believe in God will still say, yeah, you know, Jesus taught good things. And the reality is, if you don't believe any of this stuff, if you don't believe that he is the Son of God, you don't believe the Bible's real or any of that, you can still gain positive results from what it says. Jesus says things like, uh, treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. That's a good rule. You will benefit positively from that. Right, uh, um, a kind word will calm things down. It'll turn away wrath. That's good. It's true. You can handle your finances the way that the Word of God describes, and, and you'll benefit from it. All of those things are true. But to follow Jesus is not just to consume and benefit, but it actually kind of goes the opposite sometimes. Sometimes it means to deny 
something, to deny yourself, to deny my self-interest, to be uncomfortable, to be inconvenient. Basically, there are times if I'm going to follow Jesus, not just be a consumer, but I'm going to actually follow him, then I'm going to have to say no to me and yes to him. And that is costly. So Jesus says, it's, com- it's kind of like this. You need to take up your cross and follow me. Now, we have a different perspective on the cross historically, but the first century disciples and, and Roman-occupied Palestine, they were familiar with the sight of a convicted criminal carrying his cross to his place of execution. And it was to serve a few functions. It was to humiliate the criminal. And it told everyone that this person has, is demonstrating that they're in submission to the authority of Rome, to the authority that they've rebelled against. And so it involved suffering, and it involved submission, and, some, and maybe some embarrassment. And the idea of that would not have sounded great to his disciples, to the people listening to him talk about this. They had no idea that Jesus was going to die on a cross yet. Some of them did, but the crowds didn't. But they still knew that that's not a positive thing. I don't want to have anything to do with a cross. And probably I picture the, the crowd basically saying, you know, we've enjoyed the miracles, right? It was awesome when you fed all of us for free, and that walking on water thing was cool. Uh, you healed my mother-in-law. I'm still on the fence about that one, but, <laughs> but you know, there's been some cool magic tricks, and, and it, I, I've gotten a lot out of this. But now you're talking about it costing me something. I'm not really sure whether it's worth it. And, and, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's you, that it's not that you don't believe, it just seems like, you know, to be a, a disciple or a follower is inconvenient and it, and it costs too much. So Jesus, he, he understands how our minds work, and he's a master communicator, and so he addresses what was on the minds of the people. He says in verse 25, He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, right? So no matter who you are, no matter what your political background or your your opinions or anything, everyone would prefer to live as long as possible, be as healthy as possible, wealthy, happy, all that stuff, right? Anybody not want that stuff, right? We want to live long, healthy, wealthy, happy lives. And the part that we try to ignore and push to the back of our brains is is the reality that we all know to be true, is that at some point, no matter how, you know, how many times I I run and work out and how much kale I eat, and no matter how I treat this meat wagon of mine, it is going to break down and I'm going to die at some point. All of this runs out. And so, whoever wishes to save his life, will lose it. That's a truth that no matter where we're from, we can all agree is true. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. So he says, we can all agree that no matter how hard we try, this life that we have, we're going to lose. 
And anything that we amass during this life, any wealth, any, any uh, treasures, any relationships, no matter what it is, we're going to leave those behind. So, if you're going to lose something that you were going to lose anyway, right? you're going to lose a relationship that was going to end, you're going to lose wealth that you were just going to leave behind for someone who was going to use it foolishly, you're going to lose all these things anyway, I'm offering you an opportunity to lose them in a way that gives them meaning. Right? If you lose these things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, you don't actually lose. Verse 26, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So if you live the ultimate fairy tale life, right, uh, you've, you've got homes on every continent and every kind of car, and, you know, you're built like me, and, no, that was the nightmare part of the life, but, you know, you, you were healthy, wealthy, happy, and wise, and all those things, and, but in the end, you had to pay for all that with your soul. Is that worth it? Now, here's the thing, because we've talked about this a few times over the last three or four messages. Remember, we talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in any kind of life after death, so they were sad, you see, right? (laughs) That was the commonly held belief of the time, is that you live this life, at the end of it, you close your eyes the last time, you blink out of existence, that's it. And so, Jesus asks these people, who most of them probably think that. He says, just, I want you to play along with me. What if, what if there is an eternity? And you have to pay for this life with your soul. The part of you that makes you you. What if you're going to be aware and alive somewhere for a very long time. And where you spend it is going to be affected by this life. Now, he doesn't say what the negative side of that is, but he implies that it's not good. He he expounds on it a little bit in in the second half of the verse. He says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Right? If all that's true, if there is an eternity, I'm going to be somewhere for all of it. I'm leaving this life behind. No matter what I've amassed in it, I have to leave it. What would I pay, what would I give of all those things in exchange for my soul? Well, I'm going to leave all of it anyway. I would give all of it. Right? And so he's, he's put this, this little inception, this little thought seed in their minds that Hey, maybe there is a soul, maybe there is an eternity, and maybe it matters. And then in verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father, and with his angels, and, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now, for some of us, that may seem okay, right? 
Because if we're honest, most people, we think of it this way. Good people go to heaven, and bad people go to hell, right? And nobody thinks they're the bad person. We all think we're the heroes of our own story. So I'm a good person, and I'm going to be okay. The reality is that's not how any of this works, but but we'll play along with that scenario, right? We'll say that you are one of the few good people. Now, who here drives? Who has a driver's license? Okay, most of you, all right. Who here follows every traffic law perfectly all the time? Liar. Okay. All right, so even if you're one of the really good people, you do everything really well, but let's be honest, at least once a day, you commit some minor infraction. Right? Maybe you got home from work and realized, oh, I've got a paper clip in my pocket. Technically, that's an office supply I've stolen. Right? No, it's a minor thing. Nobody really cares. But, but technically, you took something that's not yours. So, and then, you know, you live, we'll say, 70 years. You know, at the end of 70 years, that means you've got just, you know, just one minor infraction every day of your life. That means you have over 25,000 minor infractions. So let's say you go before a judge over here in Noble County, and, and you have 25,000 speeding tickets. You think the judge might do something about that? Right. A good judge, a good judge can't let that go. Justice has to be met. It must be met, which is what Jesus was talking about, right? They, this must happen. And so as a Christian, the good news is is that we don't have to face that justice. Jesus tells us that if we've trusted him for eternal life, if we believe he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that he has paid that price on our behalf. But it cost him deeply. So eternal life is free. Following Jesus can be costly. It's, it's, at some point, you're going to be faced with a scenario where I have to either say no to myself and yes to Jesus or not. And it's going to matter. It may seem insignificant at the time, but it's going to matter. If I'm really going to be a Christ follower, if I'm really going to try to live like him, try to carry my cross, try to follow him. I'm going to have to decide. It may be, I have to go. You stay, I have to go. Or, no, you guys go ahead, but I'm going to stay. It may be something that I've said yes to myself plenty of times before, but God has made it very clear to me now that I'm following him means I need to say no to myself now. And, and here's the deal, though, is that at the end, when we tell our story, right, when you tell the, your story to your kids or your grandkids or in eternity, what story will you want to tell? Will you want to tell them of the 25,000 times I could not tell myself no? Or is it going to be there's a few times where I really wanted to do this thing, but I knew God wanted me to do this, and I went the other way, and it mattered. So following Jesus has a cost, 
But not following, I think, costs even more. Now he goes on in verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he just kind of changes gears, starts talking about people seeing him in his kingdom and people dying, and, and people have all kinds of weird theories about this, but the simplest answer is the best, and all it really takes is we read a few more verses and we'll find out what he's talking about. Before we do that, though, I have to make a confession to you guys. I love, love scary, weird stories and conspiracy theories. I don't know what it is, but I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about, like, you know, the exorcist and evil stuff. I'm talking about those, those you know, Twilight Zone sci-fi fantasy stories that, that remind you that there's just something mysterious and something unknown. I love to hear some new conspiracy theory about, you know, this cabal of people who are actually running everything in the world, and we, don't, we just don't know about it, and they're putting stuff in our water or whatever. I, I don't believe half of it, but I love to hear those, those stories. And I've thought about that before, and, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't wear a tinfoil hat and sit around listening to Alex Jones all the time, but, but I can't help it that I'm fascinated by this stuff. And I think what it is is that that we have this built-in need for, for contact with something transcendent, something beyond the normal. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something in us that we're just drawn to and fascinated by the mysterious, the supernatural, the lofty things. Now, that can get twisted, and we can get focused on the wrong things. But God knows that's a part of us. He knows that we're wired that way. And so sometimes he uses that part of our natural inclination to draw us closer to him. He uses it. He uses our weakness to his glory. And so that's what we're going to see here. Matthew 17, verse 1. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother and, uh, and, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, Mark and Luke also tell this story, and they let us know that Jesus leads them up there, and he goes off to pray, and they all fall asleep. And apparently, these guys just they had narcolepsy or something, because they're always falling asleep when Jesus is doing important stuff. But anyway, so verse 2, it says, And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. It was transfigured. That word in the Greek, it's the same word we get the word uh, metamorphosize or metamorphosis from. It's, it's changing on the outside to reveal an inner truth or reality. Now, you may not know this, or maybe you do, depending on your, your denominational background or whatever, but uh, we're coming up on a season that's called Lent. And uh, that word, Lent, it's an old Anglo-Saxon word that just means spring. That's all it is. But... Traditionally, the church uh, has celebrated this, this season. It would start on Ash Wednesday. And, and for 40 days, people would, would fast or, or give up something and, and, and sacrifice. It's a season to, to try to grow closer to God, to, draw, to keep your focus on Him, uh, maybe by doing something that's out of the norm for you, something that's difficult, and it, it draws you back and reminds you of the sacrifice Jesus made. But before you would... Start this season, the Sunday before Lent, 
was called Transfiguration Sunday. And, it, and the early church felt that, hey, if before we go on this, this season of difficulty, we need to celebrate the glory of God being revealed in Jesus. Okay. Now, these are not holidays that are in the Bible. It's just things that the early church celebrated. But our family, uh, we, we follow some of this stuff. We give up some things during this season to help us draw closer to Jesus. And so the transfiguration, it's not an accident that this happens before Jesus goes to Jerusalem and goes and suffers and, and goes to the cross because he gave his disciples a glimpse of his glory to get them through this time. Verse 3, it says, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So, you may be familiar with this, those names, maybe you're not. Those guys are dead, right? Clearly they're dead now. They were dead then. They were dead 1,400 years then. And here they are on the mountain, and, and there's a lot of theories why. You know, why these two guys are on this mountain with Jesus. Uh, both of them had, had talked to God on mountaintops, and both of them had asked to see a glimpse of God's glory and been granted that. And both of them had had weird endings to their lives, weird departures from earth. But really what it comes down to, I think, is this, is that Moses was the guy who wrote down the law, and Elijah was one of the most famous prophets. And the Bible tells us that the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, all culminated, were fulfilled in what Jesus is about to do. In the Gospel of Luke, he records this event, and he tells us a little detail. He says, Behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So they're talking to Jesus about the crucifixion and resurrection that's about to happen. I used to think, man, I, I wonder what, how th deeply theological this discussion was. Then I realized they're talking to God. Like, they're not instructing Jesus on how the crucifixion is going to work out. I think they're there relationally. They're there encouraging the man, the, the human part of Jesus, that, hey, you're almost there. You've got this. Now, this is a little side note, and not really what the message is about, but notice that Moses was still Moses. Right? And Elijah was still Elijah. They didn't grow wings and become angels, because angels and people are two different things. They were still humans. They had glorified bodies, but they're alive. They're conscious. They're aware. All of these things are the opposite of what the Sadducees and the people of the time thought was what happened when you died. Right? These people, these two guys had trusted in the coming king and they were still alive somewhere. And when you close your eyes in death, you will be alive somewhere. Anyway, Matthew 17, verse 4 says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, tabernacle sounds like a cool spiritual word. You know what that word means? It's a tent. Okay, Mark's account says that Peter was terrified and didn't know what to say, but he didn't let that stop him, right? And he just blurts out, this is awesome. I should 
pitch tents for you guys. The Bible tells us that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us where there are many words, sin is inevitable. Just gets you into trouble. But I'll get, cut Peter a break. This is, this is an awesome event. And he's like, uh, we should do something. But here's the thing is what Peter's idea is, is, hey, we should stay up here on this mountaintop of glory. And we should not go to Jerusalem and suffer and die like you were talking about. Let's just stay here. He didn't want to go back down to the common things, the, the struggle of life, after t- having a taste of the mountaintop. And I don't blame him. Because when God reveals his, his glory, when he works in an amazing way in your life, you don't want that to end. And you, and you look back at that time fondly, and you wish you could just go back there. That's why for many of us, you know, we, we look back, and our idea of the perfect church is whatever church was like when we first really fell in love with Jesus. That's great. But he doesn't want us camping out on top of the mountain because he's not done. Verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them, and he touched them, and he said, Get up, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. So what's the point of all this? What's the the takeaway? Peter, at the end of his life, was reflecting on his ministry and what mattered and what didn't. In about this particular moment, he said this in 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read this out of the message. Now, the message is not an actual translation. It's a, it's a paraphrase. But uh, it gives, gives you a good feel for the flavor of what Peter was saying. He says, we weren't, you know, just wishing on a star when we laid the facts out before you regarding the powerful return of our master, Jesus Christ. We were there for the preview. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus resplendent with light from God the Father as the voice of uh, majestic glory spoke. This is my son, marked by my love, focus of all my delight. We were there on the holy mountain with him. We heard the voice out of heaven with our very own ears. We couldn't be more sure of what we saw and heard. God's glory, God's voice. The prophetic word was confirmed to us. Here's the thing. He says, you'll do well to keep focusing on it. It's the one light you have in a dark time as you wait for daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your hearts. See, they got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. They had this mountaintop experience, and I'm sure this helped carry them through the suffering and the trials that were to come. But it was the voice of of God the Father on the mountain that said, this is my beloved son, listen to him, hear him, not just keep looking back and remembering this awesome time. This will help you, but I want you to hear him. 
See, we live in an age where we, we appeal to the, our experiences as the true, the only way to actually measure anything, right? That's why we have Yelp reviews and all that kind of stuff, right? It, does it feel good? Is it comfortable? Is it convenient? Uh, will it help my image? Will it further my career? Will it make me happy? That's how I grade anything. And if we're lucky, if we're blessed, sometimes all of those things and following Jesus converge at the same place. Right? It's good for me. It's convenient. It makes me happy. And this is the will of God. That's a mountaintop, glory-filled moment. But in between those moments, there are, there are valleys, there are crossroads, there are times when it's not so clear, it's not so easy, it's not so convenient, and, and, and times when what is self-indulgent and convenient and what is Christ-like diverge. And I have to choose. In Matthew 17, verse 9, this will be our last verse, it says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. He says, this was great. You got to experience this, but this is just between me and you. This is not what is going to get you through everything that's coming. This is not all there is. It's okay to, you know, share your experiences when God has moved in your life and it's changed your heart and all. Share those things. But don't depend solely on those things. Because sometimes those things are just for you. Sometimes you may find that you, there's no, I cannot find the words to really express and convey how deep this moment really was. No matter how I word it, no matter how I put it, I'm not getting it across to you. That's why those of you that like film the fireworks on 4th of July on your phone and put them on Facebook, nobody cares. Because it's not the same. That was a moment for you in the moment. And when you share it with everybody, we're like, great, blurry pictures of a thing I saw. Or when you share a uh, distorted, blurry video from a concert from 100 feet from the stage. It, we're not getting anything out of that. You did, though. And that's great. Nobody likes to see pictures of your food at the restaurant. Nobody. But our faith, our walk with Jesus, it, it can't be based just on experiences and our comfort and how we felt. His word is the constant. And that's why God says, hear him. God said that, and Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, vanished because all of that stuff was, is being completed in Jesus. And so you hear him on the mountaintop, enjoy that experience, but then make sure you hear him on your way to Jerusalem. Make sure you hear him when there's suffering. Make sure you hear him when you're fasting. And that make sure you hear him when you're carrying your cross, when it's not convenient, when it's uncomfortable, but it's right. You hear him. And so at the end, we're going to tell a story. At the end of our lives, we're going to tell a story. And is our story going to be about the 25,000 times I didn't listen to him and I couldn't tell myself no? Or am I going to want to tell people about the few times when I heard him and his voice was louder than mine? His voice was louder than the enemy's. 
and it made all the difference. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much that we know you're still speaking to us, that your word is still true, and our hearts are still just as messed up as they were uh, among the audience, the the disciples that you were addressing 2,000 years ago. Lord, we know that we are going to come to crossroads this week. We're going to experience moments. Some of, the, some of them will be, seem small and insignificant. Some of them will, will seem huge and unmanageable. But, Lord, we know we're going to face things in the coming days where we're going to have to choose between listening to your voice or our own, listening to your voice or the voice of the enemy. Lord, we pray that you strengthen us to choose you at the crossroads. Lord, help us to be willing to put down anything that is hindering us, that's holding us up from following you and turn our eyes on you, the finisher and perfecter of our faith. We thank you that you love us more than we can understand. And Lord, we pray that you come and come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, ready? Ready? break.